Keep in mind that Peter is writing to Christians who are either going through a tough time of persecution or they're about ready to go through persecution. And he's got a letter of hope for them. And the first uh, couple of verses actually talk about that hope and sets the, the whole setting, the whole theme, the, the main idea that he's going to continue throughout this whole letter. This is what they need to know in order to do everything he's going to talk to them about throughout this letter. So beginning with verse 1 of chapter 1 of 1 Peter. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. May grace and peace be yours in fullest measure. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, as we uh, continue in these verses, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be the teacher this morning. Heavenly Father, may all of us have hearts and minds open to what you would say to us. I pray that these scriptures would be encouraging to us, Heavenly Father, and uh, even those not going through persecution, but any difficult times. And Lord, we all go through difficult times uh, as we walk this journey. I pray that they would be comforting to all of us, Heavenly Father. Lord, I also want to thank you for Betty and the healing for her foot. Uh, now she's back with us, Heavenly Father. Uh, thank you. It was good to see her today. And uh, Heavenly Father, uh, we just bless you and we love you. In Christ's name, we pray. Amen. All right. So we've already talked about election. We've talked about being chosen, if you will. And... In verse 2, Peter then talks about some of the advantages of election, if you will. Some of the good things to remember. Some encouragement, if you will. Now, last week we talked about the source of election. All right? And um, the source of election was in verse 2. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Um, I won't go through all that again and everything, but foreknowledge is God knowing somebody, knowing he's going to have a relationship with somebody, choosing somebody, and then choosing them to have a relationship. And remember, that relationship is an eternal relationship. God, in eternity past, made a decision that throughout all eternity future, he chose some people that he would have a relationship with. And that's foreknowledge. And then he talks about the sphere or the spirit of election. In verse 2, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit. By the sanctifying work of the Spirit. The, the work of the Spirit encompasses all that the Spirit does to produce salvation. And, and what we see when you look at the whole line of salvation is God chooses in eternity past, all right? The Holy Spirit is the one who puts the plan in place, 
And uh, Jesus Christ is the one who died and made atonement for the sins so that plan could happen. Um, I know you all probably know this verse, Romans ten seventeen. So faith comes by hearing, and what? Hearing by the word of God. But it is the spirit of God who takes the word of God and makes it truth in our hearts. So faith is one of those things that we can attribute to the, the Holy Spirit. Acts 11, uh, verses 15 through 18. Luke writes, uh, and this is uh, Paul speaking, as I begin to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them just as he did upon us in the beginning. Therefore, if God gave them the same gift as he gave also, also gave to us, believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? And I said, Paul, it's really Peter talking here. When they heard this, they quieted down and glorified God, saying, Well then, God has also granted to the Gentiles the repentance that leads to faith. So God gives a gift of faith, but God also gives the gift of repentance. Uh, we see that over in Second Timothy let me read that to you also. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 25. Well, maybe that's 1 Timothy. No, I got the wrong verse there. I'll get that one later on. But anyway, so the Holy Spirit is involved in giving us faith. The Holy Spirit is involved in repentance. In Titus 3.5, he saved us not on the basis of deeds which we did in righteousness, but in accordance with his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is involved in renewing us, giving us new life, okay? We're dead in sin. We start out dead in sin. The Holy Spirit puts life into us. The Holy Spirit takes a dead spiritual person and makes them a live spiritual person. Often that's talked about as regeneration, as regeneration. Another verse it talks about is Paul writing in Romans chapter 8, verse 11. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, all right, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. Give life to you through his spirit who dwells in you. So the Holy Spirit's in, involved in that too. The Holy Spirit is involved in regeneration. What else is he involved in? Well, Romans chapter 8, verses 16 and 17. The Spirit himself, there's the Holy Spirit again, testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. So the Holy Spirit is involved in the process of salvation as far as adoption. We are adopted into the family of God.
Now, our salvation was planned by God, was paid for by Jesus Christ, and accomplished by the work of the Holy Spirit. And later on, if we have time today, we're going to go through that whole plan of salvation and show how the Holy Spirit is working through that. God has chosen, God has chosen before creation, who would be saved. Now, Christ died for those who are chosen. The Holy Spirit accomplishes the work of salvation in the hearts of those who have been chosen. Remember Jesus said in John 3, 5, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless someone is born of the water and the what? The Spirit. Born of the water and born of the Spirit. Okay? In other words, the Spirit involved in someone being born again. Unless that happens, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. The Holy Spirit is the one who sets apart those who have been chosen. Sets apart them from sin to righteousness. From darkness to life. From unbelief to faith. That's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit accomplishes what God has predestined. The Holy Spirit does what God has already determined what needs to be done. And that is a righteous relationship of God with those he has chosen. So we have the source of election. We have the spirit of election, which is the Holy Spirit. And then we have the sequel, or the I call it the, if you will, the, the follow-on or the result or the effect of this. Uh, back in 1 Peter 1, verse 2, According to the full knowledge of God the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to what? To obey Jesus Christ. That's the result of the effect of the Holy Spirit's working. Now, we were chosen by God to be with him in glory, to have that eternal relationship with him. One of the effects or one of the results of being chosen when the Holy Spirit works in us is obedience to Christ is obedience to Christ. Um, When is the first time in the life of a Christian, when was the first time in your life that you obeyed Jesus Christ? When is the first time anyone obeys Jesus Christ? What is that? At salvation. At salvation, that's right. All right? The gospel is a command. It's not request. It's not someone begging. The gospel is command. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a command. That's not an asking. It's a command. Okay? The first time anybody ever obeys what God wants them to do, obeys what Jesus says, is when they first believe. That is the first time that they do what they have been told to do. Um, we can know that we have been chosen when we have a pattern of obedience in our lives. That's the fruit of salvation, is obedience. We know we've been chosen. Uh, If you want to know, are you really saved? Were you one of the chosen ones? Well, do you obey Christ? You say yes. Then it says there's the evidence right there that you have been chosen. Paul wrote to the Ephesians in chapter 2, verse 10. 
For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. All right? Those good works are what we do in obedience to Christ, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. God even prepared back in eternity past what our walk would be in obedience to Christ. And if you can see, obedience and salvation are put right alongside one another. Uh, in Romans 1.5, uh, it's called obedience of faith. And God's election, God's election, his choosing us in the past is going to bring about that obedience of faith. Uh, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, uh, verses 2 through 4, Paul wrote, We always give thanks to God for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers, constantly keeping in mind your work of faith and labor of love and perseverance of hope, keeping in mind this is what they did in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of God and Father, knowing brothers and sisters beloved by God, his choice of you. So you're obeying in these areas by your work of faith and your labor of love and your perseverance of hope because of his choice for you. So our obedience is evidence of our eternal security. And that's what Peter writes about next, the security of election. Near the end of verse 2, to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood and be sprinkled with his blood. Peter's using a metaphor here as a way to show our eternal security, which results from election. And with that metaphor, we've got to go back, if you would, turn over to Exodus. Turn over to Exodus. Peter is referring back to God's work with his children, Israel, back in Exodus chapter 24. Um, let's start with verse 3. Exodus 24, verse 3. Then Moses came and reported to the people all the words of the Lord and all the ordinances. And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words which the Lord has spoken we will do. What is that? Obedience. The response to God speaking is obedience. Verse 4. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. Then he got up early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain with twelve memorial stones for the twelve tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the sons of Israel and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed bulls as peace offerings to the Lord. Moses took half of the blood and put it in the basins, and the other half of the blood he sprinkled on the altar. Then he took the book of, Co of the covenant and read it as the people listened, and they said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do, and we will be obedient. There's the obedience again. So Moses took the blood and looked, and sprinkled it on the people. And sprinkled it on the people. Remember what I just read in First Peter. 
be sprinkled with his blood. Back in Exodus verse 8, so Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, Behold the blood of the covenant, which the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. The blood sprinkled on God's altar symbolized his commitment to forgiveness. So there we see a God's guarantee of forgiveness, which is fully recognized or fully realized in the the death of Jesus Christ. And the blood sprinkled on the people symbolized their intent to obey God's law. And that's realized when we walk in the spirit and obey God's word. Now keep in mind this idea of sprinkling and the blood. And then over in Matthew 26, verse 27, uh, Jesus with his disciples. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant. All right, there was the blood of the covenant that we just read in Exodus, but that was animal blood. This is his blood, so it's my blood of the covenant which is being poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. The blood of Jesus Christ is sprinkled on the elect, so to speak, poured out on them, if you will. And that is a covenant seal for what? Forgiveness of sins. And that secures our eternal relationship and and heavenly home. All right? We have been forgiven for our sins, and that's what's needed for us to, to get to heaven. And it's the idea that since it's the blood of Jesus Christ and he makes the covenant, we can count on that forgiveness of sins because we've been sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ. So the elect will obey God, and this obedience is evidence that they have been eternally chosen. Um, John writing in 1 John chapter 2, 3 through 6. By this we have come to know him. What? If we keep his commandments. If we keep his commandments. The one who says I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever follows his word, in him the love of God has been truly perfected. By this we know we are in him. The one who says that he remains in him himself also walk just as he walked. Um, I read to you last week, Romans 8, 28. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Okay, God works all things together for good. All right. To those who are called according to his purpose. Well, does that include salvation things? Can you say, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good for our salvation to those who have been called. Well, if we go on in Romans 8, 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters and those whom he predestined he also what he called he called and those whom he called he also justified 
and those whom he justified, he also glorified. What Paul is saying there, with the whole idea of salvation, salvation is totally the work of God. Salvation is completely and totally the work of God. And all those who have been chosen will trust in the Lord. And how do we know that? Because it's God who does the work. It's not dependent upon us. Jesus said in John chapter 6, verses 37 through 40, Everything that the Father gives me will come to me. Okay, will. It's going to happen. And the one who comes to me, I certainly will not cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me. That is, everything that he has given me, everyone he has chosen, if you will, I will lose nothing, but will raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. Peter is given such wonderful words of hope and encouragement by talking about those who have been chosen, this is what God is going to do. Those who have been chosen have been foreknown. God has decided to have that relationship with you in blessed eternity. Um, great words of, of um, encouragement. And it's going to happen because the Holy Spirit's going to do it. It's not dependent on you and I. And if, we, and if it happens, we're going to obey God. And if God has chosen us, guess what? We're going to be sealed. It's, it's going to be for all eternity. So all those chosen by God, the elect, have been predetermined by God to have an eternal, righteous relationship with him. And this relationship will be worked out and caused by the Holy Spirit, which will result in our obedience to Christ, which is evidence of us being chosen and our eternal security. Now, Peter mentions a, a few advantages, if you will, at the end of verse 2. Let's look at that. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to obey Christ Jesus and be sprinkled with his blood. And then he gives us some wonderful advantages. May grace and peace be yours in the fullest member. Excuse me, the fullest measure the fullest measure. Peter wished for his listeners all the best that God can offer believers and that grace and peace would continuously and repeatedly increase in their lives until they reach glory. Turn over, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 1. Paul does in Ephesians chapter 1 a lot of what he does in, a lot like what he does in Romans chapter 8. Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. All right. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us 
with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. Glory. In love, he predestined us, preordained us, if you will, to adoption as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ to himself, according to what? The good pleasure of his will. To the, this is the key here. To the praise of the glory of his grace. All that God did there, why? To the praise of the glory of his grace. God didn't do it for you and me. He didn't do it for you and me. He did it for himself. God has saved us for himself, for his glory, not for us, with which he favored us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our wrongdoings, according, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. He made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he set forth in him, regarding his plan of the fullness of times, to bring all things together in Christ, things in heaven and things on the earth. That's what Pastor Farrell was preaching on last Sunday. According, or all things in accordance with the plan of his will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to what? The praise of his glory in him. You also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of the promise, who is in first installment of our inheritance in regard to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. All right. What are some of the benefits of God choosing us? And I just wrote a a few down here that came to my mind. First of all, when you look at this whole doctrine of election, of us being chosen, we are humbled by the doctrine of election. Because we had absolutely nothing to do with God choosing us. Absolutely nothing to do with God choosing us. So, who can you thank for it? You can't pat yourself on the back. You can't talk about what a wonderful person you are for believing on Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. All you can do is be humbled by the fact that I didn't deserve it. I did not deserve it. I did not choose it. God chose me. And with election, then comes a doctrine that exalts God and makes us want to worship him. Why? Because he deserves all the glory. Stop and think. Just the idea. God chose me. I didn't deserve it. I didn't choose him. But he chose me and decided that I would spend all eternity with him. What can I do but respond in worship and thanksgiving and blessing God? And then with the doctrine of election, that's going to lead us to a great joy in our lives. Knowing that we have been chosen for an eternal citizenship in heaven, in glory. And what a joy knowing is nothing can hinder that. 
And for people going through persecution, I'm sure <clears throat> that would make them feel so wonderful and give them so much joy in that whatever they're going through, whatever they do, whatever people do to them, nothing can hinder them going to glory. Nothing can get in the way. Not even ourselves. Because of the, the truth about election, we cannot undo God's choosing. We cannot say, I, re I am no longer going to choose him. If God has chosen us, then we will believe. It's a guarantee. And it will continue. Now, many have said that this doctrine leads us to antinomianism. Um, you know what that is, right? Antinomianism? Well, I'll just live my life the way I want. If God's chosen me, it doesn't make any difference what I do. I can do anything. I can go out and be a, a serial killer. If God's chosen me, I, I can do that. I can be that. And I can, I can do whatever we want. I can, I can live a sinful life. Why? Well, God's already chosen me. I know I'm going to be heaven. Um, no matter what, I'm not going to lose my salvation. I can't undo what God said he is going to do. Well, you know, it's just the opposite. This doctrine doesn't lead us to that kind of lifestyle. It's just the This doctrine is an incentive. It energizes us to holy living. Because God has chosen us in love, our response is to bring him glory. And our response to bring him glory is not to live a sinful life. Our, our response to bring him glory is to lead a holy life. So if we're truly saved, that's going to be our response to him. Now, Peter's going to spend the largest part of his letter encouraging the believers to live their lives as those who have been chosen. That's why he starts out with that very beginning. Now, last week um, and, and the week before, we started out with this idea of, well, what kind of questions does this doctrine of election bring to mind? What kind of questions of, do we think about or statements or ideas with being chosen? Um, a few of them that we've got. Well, it's not what I would plan. Okay? So that, our response is, that's not the way I would plan it. What God has put together, that, that's not the way I would do it. Another question that came up is, if God's already chosen who he's going to save, then why do we even bother to send missionaries? If he's already made the choice, why do we bother to evangelize? Good question. The other one, if, if God has chosen and he's already put in place and put in plan what he's going to do with this, then what is our purpose? What's our purpose? And um, why all the suffering that's going on? Why, why do we need all this suffering if we're just chosen to go to glory and we can just go to glory and avoid all the suffering? Another one, election. Uh, it talks about the door is open. Uh, we're given the command, if you will, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, then that gives you the idea that, well, well that kind of tells us man has a choice. That man has a choice. We have a choice. Um, certainly we're told to obey. So we have a choice of whether or not we're going to obey the gospel. That's a question that comes up. The other one that often comes up is, oh, what about free will? 
But what about free will? If God has already chosen you, if God has already made the selection, not only chosen you, but God has foreordained, okay, already put the plan in place, all right, um, if God has already said, this is what I'm going to do, and this is what people are going to do, well, what about their free will? Don't they have free will? Now, another one is, okay, uh, obviously, God does not choose everyone. Obviously, God does not choose everyone, okay? Isn't God unfair for not choosing everyone? Oh, actually, you got an answer to that one already? But I, I want to walk back okay. to 1980. All right. Here in Timberlake. I was on the Deacon Board, and I was also teaching an adult Sunday school class. And I was teaching, um, began, began teaching through the book of Ephesians. And uh, it stirred up a hornet's nest, you might say, kind of in the class. And it spilled over to the deacon board, and the deacon board then, uh, in a meeting, was railing on me uh, about what I was teaching. And um, uh, so anyway, um, we were coming up for a re-election, re and I was on the, on the ballot to be re-elected. And... Uh, so Pastor Hatmaker um, said to me, he's, he asked me, would I withdraw my name from the ballot? And then he and I could talk hmm. about uh, Ephesians 1-4, John 3-16, mm -hmm. how those two uh, verses fit together and come together what's the understanding here and um, so I, I I withdrew my name and I was off the digging board from 1980 to about uh, end of uh, of uh, Alice's uh, ministry I came back on the digging board um, so there's a lot of, of bad blood that often exists in this um, matter, in this teaching. Mm. And um, I, as a, as a individual, uh, now, and I couldn't do then, to uh, mesh uh, John 3.16 with the Ephesians 1.4. Okay. That just seems to be a butthead. And uh, so I, I believe both. I believe both. And um, the question about why some missionaries got to get, God told them to do so. Okay. Uh, so um, I will not be able to put those two uh, ideas together in a, in a, in a synchronized uh, way until I get the glory. And. I have all of eternity for God to teach me. Okay. What what was the issue? Huh? That what was the issue out of those two that the what did you say? What blasphemy did you bring because forth? Of, I, because of Ephesians 
were chosen, and, and they would hit me with, well, where's where you will? Where's, where? Okay. And, and, yeah. and so, uh, I'm not God. I can't uh, uh, put all the mesh of the things together of God's plans uh, with my human human uh, understanding. And I, so I, and Richard Jett was, was, he was very, very uh, strong at me <laughs> in that meeting. So that, that tells you that this doctrine uh, really causes some divisions. Oh, it does. Okay? Uh, really uh, raises some people's ire, okay, and everything. And that's one of the reasons I'm spending this amount of time on it. All right? So that we can understand what the Bible says, and, and at least that far. We may not be able to answer everything, because if the Bible doesn't address something, then, then it makes it hard to answer it, of course. But if the Bible addresses it, okay, and if the Bible talks about it, all right, our, our pastor would teach us that the, the Bible has given us not to be confused, all right, but to unconfuse us. So as we go through a little bit more of this, Ashton, um, yeah, there are some things that you're, you're going to end up saying, well, when I get to heaven, and I'm going to tell you, when you get to heaven, um, you may understand it just because you sit down with the Lord and say, just explain this one to me, all right? But um, I, what I want us to do is really understand what the Bible says and then what the Bible doesn't say. Yeah, so, it's very clear, very clear. What it says in Ephesians yeah. 1 4. It's very, very it's clear. It's very clear. And it's very, very clear what God says in John 3 16. Very mm -hmm. clear. Yes. And you cannot you cannot deny uh, either one. But uh, with my human brain, my weak, weak brain, uh, it's difficult for me to uh, mesh the two together and, and synchronize them. Does that make sense? I'm getting head, head nods here. Uh, not, that, that not, makes sense that now I you can't. challenge Don and I to see if we can come up with that. What? Now you challenge Don and I to see if we can come up with that. Don taught on the, the plan of salvation last year, okay, in one of the evening sessions, all right, which I used his, his handout to, to help prepare all this and everything. Um, I just want to j get into this just a little ways. Uh, before we talk about answering these questions, there's some doctrinal fundamentals. I named that myself. Some things that, first of all, you have to agree on this before you're going to get to those other things. Like sin. Okay? Sin. The payment for sin is death. Separation from God. Alright? Not heaven, but hell. And all have sinned. You have to start there, and you've got to agree on that. And I'm not going to a full teaching on that, because I think we could all agree on that, okay? The wages of sin is death, separation from God. And all have sinned. All have sinned, all right? That's a, that's a fundamental you've got, you got to first start with and say, okay, I believe that much. The next one, God, this is the tough one. God is sovereign over everything, okay? God, or he's not God, that's right. 
Okay? Now, what you have to resolve in your mind and think about, what does it mean that God is sovereign over everything? What does that mean? God is sovereign over everything. Well, actually... It, he is God. He is God. He okay? is God. Which means God can do and God will do whatever is his pleasure, whatever he wants to do. Now, the key word is over everything. Does that mean God is sovereign over salvation and who gets saved and who does not get saved? There's a very basic belief you have to go there because if you don't think God is sovereign, then everything else becomes mishmash. All right? Another one. I, this is, these are my words on this one. God and God only is God. All right? I, I, I don't, can't find it in the Bible just like that. Okay, because God doesn't say I can't find I and I only am God. Although um, when you go back to the Exodus, um, I think you may find different words like that. But God and God only is God. That means there is no other God. That means you are not a God. That means you are not sovereign. That means I am not sovereign. And there is nothing else that tells God what to do. Only God determines what he is going to do. Only God is God. And along with that comes a couple of verses. Isaiah 55, 8 through 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways, or nor are your ways my ways, declare the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts are then your thoughts. Look what God says about himself right there. Okay? You don't think the way I think. Absolutely. All right? And your ways. What are your ways? Your ideas of justice. Your ideas of justice. Your ideas of this thing called free will, which I can't find that in the Bible, those words free will. Okay? But you put together this idea of free will. People have this idea of free will. Okay, and we have our definition of what free will is and have man should have a certain free will. God says your ways are not my ways. So sometimes we think things, but it's not the way God thinks things. All right. That. Yeah, that's what he says in Isaiah 55. And why? Because as the heavens are higher than the earth. And and that's how is that? So are my ways higher than your ways. God's ways, God's ways of doing things, God's plans are so much higher than us. No, we're not going to grasp it right away. All right. And his thoughts, then our thoughts, we don't think the way God thinks, folks. But we try to say, this is the way I think. And now I'm going to judge God against the way I think. That's what causes a lot of of these problems. Another one. Romans eleven thirty three, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. Unsearchable. I can't search his ways. That's right. All right. And his judgments. All right. God has revealed to us in his word what he wants us to know. Amen. But I've got news for you. God hasn't told us everything about God. And we have an eternity 
to learn that and see it and find it out and enjoy it. But, it's all right, we cannot judge God based on what we think, based on our humanity, based on our laws, based on our ideas of what's fair and what's not fair. We cannot do that. So those are some doctrinal, was one more. The purpose of man. This is one that you've you got to be solid on. What is the purpose of man? It's to glorify God. That's your purpose. And, and you know what? God does everything to see to it that man is going to glorify him. God does that. Because he is going to get the glory. Isaiah 43.7 says this. Everyone who is called by my name. That's Christians, right? Believers. And whom I have created for what? For my glory. Everyone who gets saved. Everyone who gets chosen. God has created them for his glory. It's not for us. Is for his glory. Anyone I have formed, even whom I have made. Right there. And that's one of the very basic ones. When you start asking these questions that we're going to look at. Is wait a minute. Is that for God's glory or man's glory? Are you judging God based on what you get or what God gets? And when you start talking about God chooses people for heaven... And he doesn't choose these people for heaven. They're going to hell. So you're looking at his grace and his justice. You need those if you're going to know who God is. Could you imagine God not saving anybody? And you knowing who God is? Would you say God is a God of grace? You wouldn't know grace if it wasn't for God saving you from your sins. You wouldn't even know what justice is if you didn't understand that there are some people who refuse to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and guess where they're going to end up? They're going to hell. And you know what? That is justice. But if you didn't know that, if you didn't understand that, you would not have a full idea of who God really is. And if you don't really know who God is, he's not going to get all the glory. God created you he created me. He chose you. He chose me. He foreordained us to be saved and to be with him in heaven. Why? Well, when you read Revelation, what are people doing in heaven? They're sitting around talking about who the speaker of the house is. What are they doing in heaven? What do we see in heaven? What's going on? Praise to God. Praise to God. That's it. And that's what we're chosen for. So obviously... That's what God has, has created us for, and that's what it's going to be when we get to heaven. We are going to give God what he created us and chose us for when we get to heaven. And that takes us again from God chose us. He chose us to be with him in heaven. Um, all right, next week we're actually going to start uh, addressing these questions and looking at the questions that come up. All right, and how the Bible would help us to understand those. Um, if you have any other questions that you would like me to add on to the list, uh, I'd be glad to put it there. I'm challenged now 
Ashton to try to figure out what the problem was in resolving Ephesians 1, 4 and John 3, 16, okay? And what the Bible says. Um, let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, I thank you, God. I praise you. May you be glorified in my life. I pray that I would glorify you in all that I do, in all that I think, in all that I say. Because, God, you created me for that. And you created me, Heavenly Father, to give you the glory. And, Heavenly Father, I can do nothing less than thank you, Lord. May we all do that. Be with Pastor Farrell, and he continues to teach out of Romans, Heavenly Father. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.